Um, the Washington Post reported in 2014 a story about online terms and conditions. Um, so I know some of you have used the computer before. You go to a public Wi-Fi spot. They say, yes, I want to use your public Wi-Fi. And then you read the terms and conditions. And then you get in. You get access to the Wi-Fi. Well, a company named F-Secure in 2004 did a study to see how many people would actually read the terms and conditions. And they put within the terms and conditions at this public spot what is known as the Herod Clause, which stated that if you used the Wi-Fi, you gave up the rights legally to your firstborn child. <laughs> now, while this would be hard-pressed for F-Secure to then take your children, even though they can legally do to it, They've, you signed it over. Um, they, well, the point was to say that how many people just do not read the terms and conditions of online stuff. 58% of the people who were in that spot surveyed said that they uh, um, would rather read an instruction manual to something, and a whole 12% of those surveyed said that they'd rather read the phone book. <laughs> Either way, terms and conditions of contracts are typically not considered when people actually go on and do stuff. A similar joke was performed in 2010 on April Fool's in the UK where people turned over their immortal souls for uh, use of the internet on public Wi-Fi. So, fun thing that you can do. Um, the terms and conditions, though, of salvation have been made clear throughout the Old Testament. And because of the work of Jesus, as we look back in hindsight, 2020, and what he has taught us, we can see the terms and conditions laid out clearly. And these are terms and conditions that hopefully you as a Christian know. Um, so as we move forward tonight, we're going to talk about three topics. So if you look at your fill-in-the-blank, number one, the three characters that are involved are the wolf, the lamb, and the sheep. One is wolf, two is lamb, three is sheep. And we're going to see how they deal with the terms and conditions. So turn with me to Luke 22, verses 1 through 24. 23, sorry. Luke 22, verses 1 through 23. Bring your Bibles. We do Bible here. Unlike most of these youth groups in America, we cover the Bible. Um, so just know that that's it. Luke 22. 1 through 24. Can I have a volunteer? Because my voice, I'm on two over two weeks of dealing with voice stuff. Can I have a volunteer read Luke 22, 1 through 23 for me? Thank you. Oh, wait. Olivia chose it, and I like her voice better. No offense. Well, I hear his voice, and it's just my voice. And another 20 years. So I know what it is. Now the feast of unleavened bread drew near, which is called the Passover. And the chief priests and the scribes were seeking how to put him to death, for they feared the people. Then Satan entered into Judas, called Iscariot, who was of the number of the twelve. He went away and conferred with the chief priests and officers how he might betray him to them. And they were glad and agreed to give them money. <coughs> So he consented and sought an opportunity to betray him to them in the absence of, the, of a crowd. Then came the day of unleavened bread, on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. 
So Jesus sent Peter and John, saying, Go and prepare the Passover for us, that we may eat it. Then said, they said to him, Where will you have us prepare it? He said to them, Behold, when you have entered into the city, a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him to the house that he enters, and tell the master of the house. The teacher says to you, Where is the guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? And he will show you a large upper room, furnished, prepared, prepare it there. And they went out and found it just as he had told them, and they prepared the Passover. And when the hour came, he reclined at table, and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. Sorry. (laughs) For I... (laughs) For I tell you I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he said, Take this and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you that from now on I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took the bread, and and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise the cup after they had eaten, saying, This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. But behold, the hand of him who betrays me is uh, is with me at the table. For the Son of Man goes as it has been determined, but woe to the man by whom he is betrayed. And they began to question one another, which of them it could be who was going to do this. Thank you, Olivia. Let's pray real quick. Father God, as we dive into this passage, as we dive into the concept of the wolf, the lamb, and the sheep, uh, Lord, I pray that we would see the disciples, and we would see the person of Jesus, and we would understand them better, but in the process we would understand ourselves better. And realize that we're invited into this communion table as well. Uh, Lord, uh, may we think of you. Uh, may we focus on you during this time. Um, and may we discuss you uh, well and rightly in our transformation groups. In your son's name. Amen. So I thought three character types stuck out to me as I read this passage. Really, if you've read the passage, which all of you just did, you can really go a lot of ways with this. Uh, but I wanted to focus on the three characters of the wolf, the lamb, and the sheep. That are portrayed here in the passage. If you remember, uh, ever since Luke 19, we've entered a new section of Luke. Up to Luke 19, Jesus was teaching around the countryside and he was drawing people to himself. And since the triumphal entry in Luke 19, he is preparing for his death. And everything is pointing to the cross. Everything is speeding up. It's the closing of the door before it's burst open at the resurrection. Um, so we see here three characters that take place. Um, the first one, uh, the first thing I want you to be aware of as we move forward is to be reminded of that God is in control of all this. So even as we talk about the wolf and the slaughter of the lamb and what happens to the sheep, I want you to be reminded of what we talked about two weeks ago. What that is, that the sovereignty of God, God is in control of all this. This is stuff that he planned from the beginning. Um, this is not a cosmic chess match with Satan that is taking place. I think it's hard for us to remember that God is sovereign because we live on a linear timeline. We talk about this when we talk about time in apologetics, how we are constantly moving from the past to the present on this on the future, past to the future on this line called the present. And because we live linearly and God lives outside of time, it is hard for us at times to see that God is in control of the situation. And Satan here clearly completely misses this point because he's still... Trying to get at God even in the midst of this. 
So the first one is the wolf. And the wolf section is about its pack leader, who is Satan. If you remember Luke 4, that was when Satan took Jesus out in the wilderness to be tempted. Or actually met Jesus in the wilderness to be tempted. And then after he was called out and cast out, he had left and kind of been in the shadows waiting to see when was the right time to attack Jesus. And what we see is here, he has found the right time to attack Jesus. And that is namely in the one that is called Judas Iscariot. You see verses 3 and 4, they state this. Then Satan entered into Judas, called Iscariot. Remember, because there's two Judases in the disciples. Everyone always forgets about the second guy. Who is the number of the twelve. And then Judas, he went away and conferred with the chief priests and officers how he might betray him. So, when Satan entered Judas's body... Did he enter him the same way that we saw the demons enter these demon-possessed people in the previous chapters? No, it is not. It's not the same way. There's not convulsing. It's not, you know, bodily taking in. In this instance, Satan was invited in. And the reason he was invited in is because Judas had an idol. And that idol was called money. And I think, too, a little bit of comfort. And I remember that Judas had been with Jesus for three years. He walked with Jesus. And he thought Jesus, the Messiah, was going to come into Jerusalem and kick out the Romans. And I think it's clear to Judas at this point that his version of the Messiah is not going to happen. This guy keeps talking about his death and kicking out the temple priests. Well, they're the good guys. Why are you talking to them, Jesus? The Romans are the ones that we need to get rid of. So clearly Judas, because of his idol of money, and probably a little bit of idol of pride, doesn't want to deal with the repercussions of following this guy that's going to die. So he heads bail, cuts, cuts bail, takes the money, and goes and works out a deal. Remember, he wants money. He works out a deal with the chief priests to turn over his best friend. It's for the love of money. We know that he is a thief, if you remember from John 12, 6, where they call him a thief because he is a money, uh, he holds the money. So this is your first fill in the blanker, the one underneath idol. Judas's idol of money was the tool used by Satan to ensnare him. Judas's idol of money was the tool used by Satan to ensnare him. So here's the question. What is the lesson we can pull from the big bad wolf? What is the lesson we can pull from the wolf? Judas wanted, no, sorry. Judas, because someone else looks like a disciple, I think this is one of the things you can learn, does not mean they are. Just because someone looks like a disciple does not mean they are. They can easily be trapped by the idols of their life already present, and Satan can use their idols for the purposes of either their destruction or the kingdom's destruction. So, here's the question you have to ask yourselves. What idols do you need to be aware of that you struggle with? What are your idols? I hope, with our talk of idols in the past two years, you know those. You're like, I know, I know what's my go-to idol. I know what I lean into when I'm stressed. Is it pride? Lust? Comfort? Approval? You need to know your idol so you can keep it in check. 
Because if you're not aware of it, that's going to be when the wolf sneaks up on you. That's the danger. You need to always be aware of your item. So, here in this instance, the alpha wolf is using the idol of Judas to get to the lamb. And the lamb, of course, is Christ. So, we're celebrating in this passage, Passover. Jewish historians in the group. What is Passover? You can tell me from the OT what Passover is. Considering I might use you guys in Bible trivia next time. We'll do a yak tack here. I'm, gonna, I'm not going to do it to you. I'm going to actually do it. Okay. Do you know what Passover is? You got it? It's a feast? Yeah. What do we roast? Chicken. <laughs> Lamb. Dog. What Old Testament? So let's go with Preston. Preston knows a lot about this. He's talking. So Preston, what is Passover? What is Passover celebrating? Uh, <laughs> okay, the other one in the womb with him. Yeah, death came over and passed. That's okay. Angel of death passed over the Israelites, God's people, passed over them. Hence why we get passed over. So a lamb was slaughtered, a young lamb. They put the blood on the doors. They ate a meal. Passed over. Passed over. So that's what Passover is. And here we get a lot of irony at play. There's tons of irony at play. In the Old Testament during Passover, the blood of the lamb, lamb was used to remove the wrath of God from his people. Put it over the doorways. Death did not enter the household and kill the firstborn. Thank you. All firstborn say amen. 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 Now the irony is that the blood of the lamb covers God's covenant people. And the wrath of God is removed from them and passes over them. So the imagery from the Old Testament also plays out in the New Testament. And I think the imagery and the irony goes even further. The death in the Old Testament swept in and killed the firstborn son because of the awfulness of... The king and uh, the pharaoh in Egypt. And now here, the blood of the lamb covers the people. And the firstborn son of the righteous king dies in his stead. Does that make sense? So the irony of Passover and what's happening at Christ's death is boldly proclaimed when you know the imagery that takes place. Notice the wording... As he's talked about Passover in verse 7. Then came the day of unleavened bread on which Passover lamb had to be slaughtered. Had to be slaughtered. Why does he have to be slaughtered? It's a necessity. And I think one of the commentators, or two of the commentators I was actually looking at this week, referred to the lamb here that he's referring to as not the Passover lamb that they actually would eat. But the lamb here is Christ. He was to be slaughtered here so that our sins could be removed. The lamb was Christ himself. Notice how that even though Peter and John go and prepare the t- lamb at the temple, 
They go through the lines to get it blessed and then cut and then uh, the intel's poured out and then the rest of the meat given back to them for them to roast. They go through all that business and then they get to the, the room and there's no mention of them actually eating the lamb. All there is is the mention of the wine and the bread that they partake of. Why don't they eat the lamb? Because the lamb is within their midst. The lamb is Christ. Uh, What they eat is the bread which Jesus gives to them and interprets as a symbol for his own sacrifice of them. His bloody death is represented by the cup. This night will be seared on the disciples' memories. And this event transforms the meaning of Passover for his followers as Jesus himself becomes the Passover lamb. Notice again the words of Christ in verses 15 and 16. I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. Before I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom. So he sets the table. He goes through all the work. The sovereign God of the universe sets even the cups and the meal. He's got it all prepared for Passover. And then he doesn't partake of it. Because he wants to set the expectation of the wedding supper of the Lamb in the revelation that is to come. Does that make sense? Boys, if you can't not talk to each other, separate from each other. The desire to feast is with Jesus. He wants it to be over. He wants everything to be fulfilled. But it's on hold until the kingdom of God comes and reigns completely. He passes over, pun intended, the meal, and then proceeds to give his disciples wine and bread. The cup and bread signifying the new Passover. The new Passover. Notice how he doesn't focus his attention on the wine. I know we got like wine and grape juice wars all throughout the church. The focus there is not on the wine. The focus is on the cup. The focus is on the cup. And what do they do? They share the same cup. Well, did like the guy who owns the house like forget to do the dishes? Like, did they just have like one cup and that's it? I mean, we all, we all drank out of the same cup. We just forgot the rest of them. No, you got to think about it. In that culture, to share a cup with someone was to come into literally a communion kind of contractual relationship with them. To where you are going to enter whatever their destiny has them do. So as they are entering into this communion relationship with God... He's setting forth and they're entering in it by all partaking of his cup. All partaking of his cup. And that leads me to the next point. And that is this. We will share in his destiny. We will share in his destiny. What what destiny? It's that salvation that will be brought to his people. We are called to remember that to take part in the cup, Jesus himself will not drink it until he returns in glory. Is that cool imagery? It's cool imagery. We see this Passover lamb. See what it means. The cup he does drink now is a suffering cup. We're going to see in a couple of verses. We're not going to read it here. You can go home. You can finish the chapter. But he's, he's praying in the garden of Gethsemane. And what does he say? Lord, if you would take this cup from me, this suffering that is about to be poured out on the altar for the sins of the people. Please do so. 
he wants to remove the cup. And the pouring of the wine from the cup is also of great significance. J.P. Heal says this, that the covenantal blood of Jesus being poured out reminds the audience of how Moses poured out half the sacrificial blood of the covenant into bowls, and the other half he poured forth before the altar of God. As the priest pours out the blood of the sacrificial animals on the altar as a sin offering to atone for the sins of the people, so the sacrificial blood of Jesus is being poured out in death to establish the new covenant that definitely unites God to his people through the forgiveness of their sins. Do you see how this imagery that has been cast forth and given such particulars in the Old Testament comes to its fulfillment beautifully within the New Testament? That's why when the Jews, during that period of waiting in between the um, Old Testament and the New Testament, were waiting for the finishing of the covenant. What's going to come next? Because the story wasn't complete. Well, it's being complete in the story of Jesus. It's all coming full circle. The lamb will lay down his life for his sheep. And that brings me to my third point, the sheep. The sheep. While this clearly refers to the disciples that are around the table, it also refers... To you and me and every other Christian that's lived in between us. You enter into communion for you guys every week. Have you ever asked the question why we take the Lord's Supper at all? Why do we come forward or some churches pass out like bread and wine? My son, he's like, it's snack time. You guys get, you guys get big snacks in nursery. We get veggie straws. You guys get craffer, crackers and a drink. We don't get juice. We get water. But why do we do the Lord's Supper at all? Think about it. In contrast to every other religion of the day. Every other religion of the day had an idol. They had some gold person that they bowed down to. A pole, a temple. Um, they had something that they worshipped. What did Christians bring to the table? The table. Literally. That's what they brought to the table. Is they brought communion. Communion was the symbol that everyone gathered together and they partaked of to remember the sacrifices of God. The new Passover meal that we are to remember how he gave himself up for our sins. It's beautiful. And we celebrate it. And this is your next one on the blank. We celebrate it because... It connects us to our past. You ever think about that? I'm a history nerd. Now, I, I walk into all these old churches, like all over Europe, or if you go up into New England, you see all these old churches that you're in. And it's fun to think, hey, brothers and sisters of Christ that also partake of the Lord's Supper in this building, and did hundreds, if not thousands of years ago, depending on what church you go to. This is the meal that binds us all together. This is the thing that we partake of that signifies that we are part of the family of God. It links us with our past. Likewise, as we celebrate it, it connects us with our future. That's your next round of life. Likewise, as we celebrate it, the table connects us with our future. Where Christ, too, partakes of the bread and wine as glory awaits. So why are we to look to both the past and the future as the sheep of God? Why are we? Why do we do it? I think a couple reasons. We're going to touch on a couple of them during transformation groups. 
I think the one that has stuck out to me most this week, even as I just go through the news and my anxiety pops up and rears its ugly head, is that we live in a really broken world. You're going to deal with a lot of pain in life. Disappointment. My God, why does this happen? Like, I have like four or five other ways that would have been much more comfortable if this, this happened in this order. And the table reminds us that life is difficult. Life is difficult. And we have a sovereign God who in his sovereignty ordained it to be that way. But we have a God who entered into the suffering to redeem it. So when we go to the table, we are reminded that we have a God who entered into the suffering to enter the suffering with us. To be in the fallen world and to overcome it. It's the beauty of the table. Another one is our sin. We can check our sin. What are we bringing, Lord? Okay, what is, what is keeping me from you this week? What sins am I partaking of without even thinking? It helps us check ourselves. And then lastly, the part where he says, do this in remembrance of me. Do what? Like sit around and eat crackers and juice? Like this, that's my son's favorite life. I mean, let's be real. Turn on aqua tops, crackers, juice. I love being a Christian, you know? Is that when he's talking about do this in remembrance of me? Yes, he's talking about do this. But he's also talking about everything else that he's been doing up to this point in Luke and Mark and John. And, and, and Matthew, that's the other one. All the things he's commanded us to do, to love the poor, to fight for the weak guy, to reach out to those that don't know Christ, to forgive the unforgivable. Those things that Christ has done up until this point, he's calling us in to do as well. To do this in remembrance of me. To live a life as a Christian in remembrance of him. As we come to the table every week, to be reminded of the gift that he's given us. It's one of my favorite things here. It's one of my favorite things that attracted me to this church was showing up that first Sunday and Jamie calling me by name saying, this body's broken. AJ, this body's broken for you. It's beautiful. It is broken for me, just as it is broken for you.